We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Wednesday on the OBR Film Breakdown, so that's myself and Andrew Spade getting together to put sort of the bow on last week's game, talking through the Ravens-Browns processes, what happened with the offense after we've had a chance to really digest the film and formulate some opinions. So you get all of that at the beginning, and then after the break, you get your midweek mailbag, which we had a ton of great listener questions submitted and some good topics hit on. So it's a packed show, a lot of topics hit. We're developing what we think needs to be said during this bye week. It's sort of all playing itself out. So hopefully you guys enjoy this one. Let's get started with the latest OBR Film Breakdown right now. Okay, guys, welcome to your midweek mailbag episode. It's myself, it's Andrew Spade. Before we dive into your questions, which shout out to all of you, there were some really, really good questions that came through via responding to the request on the on the OBR Film Breakdown Twitter feed, and then you guys DM some questions as well, and I, I want to give you guys credit for doing that because that makes the discussion during this show a lot more interesting because we're answering, talking, discussing things that you guys want us to talk about. So great start there. The only thing I will ask going forward is some, some of the social handles are a little off the wall. So maybe just like a name and, and then you can identify for answering your question. doesn't have to be your, your full name, but just like maybe or even your real names. If you want to right on, if you just want to put like Jake B that's yep. fine too. Um, yep. We just want to give credit to the question asking person um taking the time to do it but we also don't want to read like dirty toenail jam 99 uh again is like your your handle here so and, and i kind of do kudos to you if that's your if that's your social handle right on um but but i think it sounds a little wonky when you're asking a serious question and then you're like kind of <laughs> uh social media tag name is kind of strange it kind of re- distracts a little bit is my point andrew so all right we're gonna first open though with how we open these mailbag midweek mailbag which is kind of putting a bow on it so mm-hmm. you know the the 28-3 outcome i i did the you know recording after you and i got together yesterday you have since spent time watching more of the film um and i kind of opened the forum for you to throw out andrew anything you want to sort of say to close that game or yeah. your changed opinions from watching it on film um anything like that and then we can kind of go from there so the floor is yours to open if you have any thoughts on the game 
outside of uh and you listen it could be as simple as i'm i watched it and i'm i never want to watch it again we're, i mean we're moving yeah. on but that, yeah good that's that's the that's the neighborhood that we're in here jake is is just like yikes you know top to bottom um i think one of the things that jumped out to me and i don't think this is surprising it shouldn't be surprising but there was there was definitely a point there uh pretty quickly where the body language just changed so significantly on the defense yep um because they kind of knew and I, and I said this to I was watching with my dad on on Sunday I, I thought I I said that live I thought you know th- these guys are having flashbacks to the worst games of 2022 right now and they're kind of going into that same shell and I'm not saying that that is to blame for all of the stuff that we saw on the defense but it it really felt like they kind of reverted to the worst habits that they had last year and I, I don't think that's a coincidence considering they knew that they were going into that game with very little chance to win once Watson decided not to play. And they kind of saw how those first few drives went. You know, the 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 defensive first was the same sort of swagger and confidence and aggressiveness that we've seen the first few weeks. And then, you know, there's that one play touchdown drive that they, you know, they give up as a result of the, the turnover. And then, it, you know, next time the defense is on the field, they've got the, the, you know that they're not making tackles they're not coming up and hitting guys that the pressure is often not getting home and it just felt like here we go again so yeah I, I mean I almost don't know I think you did such a great job earlier in the week talking speaking to the offensive stuff I feel like I'm curious what you think about this I feel like overall you don't want to try and extrapolate too much about the defense from this just because of the position that they were put in and that's not to make an excuse because they, I, I do think they do need to be better. And there were some schematic pieces to it, but that's not really my, you know, specialty. Uh, it, it just more like seemed to me that they really got kind of rocked and put back on their heels. And, and so I think that goes a certain length in kind of explaining, you know, why things happen the way they did on, on defense. Other than that. Yeah. I think it's, you know, the stuff that you said about the offense and it looking just hard you know it looks like the number of times where you you can you know with the all 22 you pause the tape and you you're you stop it kind of at the top of his drop right at the top of dtr's drop and you're looking for open receivers i mean there are sometimes guys open but but man a lot of times it's like it it feels pretty covered and so i i don't know i it i he, you can't say it's okay to ever throw into the closed windows that he threw into a, a lot of those, uh, you know, turnover worthy plays. You said there were five of them, right? Um, yeah. Yep. But, but at the same time, I think you understand the rookie trying to make a play here, here and there because, um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I thought it reminded me a lot of the Steelers game where it felt like you know you, you just you you get the impression from his perspective that he wasn't seeing what he thought he was going to see when he hit the top of his drop. Yep. So I would agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, you, you, you have to be able to, anytime a young kid is playing. And even if you go back to some of the times we've watched the Browns sort of right limp around in some of these games that they've let young quarterbacks, I don't have to go even too far back in recent memory to know these games, right. Is that there has to be an answer in running the football. Now, again, I, you, you can, Talk about what we're talk about, uh, talking about here, fully understanding that the defenses the Browns have played have been some really good run defenses. But when you go back, if you get a chance to go watch Chalk Talk, 
these um these guys up front are not getting it done they like this is yeah. a large but, piece yeah. of the the puzzle that we too. haven't really dug into there's some alarming data on Jedrick Wills and this was a point of, of contention before the season Andrew um you know the this conversation around projecting this offensive line can they get Jed to be you know how does he get better? Not only has he not gotten better, he is now flirting with being amongst the worst in the NFL. And that is jarring because, yep. you know, Jed has been Jed and there's been frustrating parts of it, but he's always been kind of okay. And now we're talking about a regression into some alarming statistics today where I'm seeing him as among the highest percentage of pressures allowed by uh, an individual I think I have to make sure I have the, the way it's framed here. Offensive linemen responsible for the highest percentage of their team's allowed pressures. Mm-hmm. He's third in the NFL. He's third in the NFL. Yeah. Behind, you know who he's leading? He's leading Andre Dillard from mm-hmm. Tennessee, who we watched Miles Garrett put on his, his mantle for for uh, four quarters and just and just blow past him or bull rush him or do whatever he wanted to do with him. Cody Sook put up a, a, a tweet about pass, uh, pass block efficiency, and Dewan Jones is 21st. You know, the first three, it's always hard to stomach that Tristan Wirfs is just going to continue to eat at us yep. uh, mm-hmm. over the years here. And, you know, he's, and now he's at left. Yeah, and he's at left, right? Jed is 59th in that group of, of offensive tackles. So it's just, it's not only the guard center guard where, you know, Joel is not playing up to standard. Postage is not playing up to who we thought he was at the beginning of last year before the injury and why it is inconsistent. You have among the worst playing performing left tackles right now. And then you're trying to be like, oh, yeah, well, what's Dewan Jones doing? Right. He's the rookie of the group and he's been relatively fine. But you you mix the offensive line, no running game. And in this game, you have nothing to lean on. And to your point, Andrew, which is well stated there, he has he feels like he has to just kind of rip some. And yep. I think, listen, we've gone on record and we've talked about the disappointment in the game plan to to see some of the things that have been out there and especially from in-house Cleveland media. Right. Um, To say things that were said, I don't have to rehash them at this point, but for Deshaun Watson to never have thrown a pass at full strength throughout the week with the shoulder. And and fail, guys, I'm really trying to not be like hyper negative and critical for there to be no secondary plan in place off of a guy not practicing and just presuming that Deshaun was going to be there and play, that's a massive level of failure to, to um, I, I actually, it's so stupid. I'm sorry. It's so stupid. I can't even fathom that this would be true. Yeah. That you could, you could yeah. have a full-time coaching job. Look at this guy, not playing all week, not doing anything in full fashion all week and then not have a plan B in place in right. case something happened. You can't sit here and say, well, they did. They did have a plan. They were trying to run the ball. And it wasn't look the, the early run game stuff was kind of fine. It was kind yep. of fine. Mm-hmm. And then it was just, it was just, they kept putting themselves behind it because they couldn't protect. They, they were putting a lot of stuff in his lap. He was throwing downfield ill-advised throws and like, yeah, you yeah. can say, well, DTR stinks. You know, he, he, it's his fault. That's fine too. But you know, ultimately what we, we have our guys do on the field is a reflection of how they're being coached up. I mean, it is. And this is the the situation they've put themselves in. And like, I cannot state enough that the, the, I'm trying to be careful here. The la- I'm not trying to create the drama. I think some people are creating, but how you're, your quarterback and head coach can be so far out on the on the ability to play yeah. on a Sunday 
is yeah. is jarring. And I'll get to your your defensive stuff because I think that's important too. But I again, I'm, I'm days removed from it, and I feel like I've said a lot of these things, Andrew. But I still, yeah, I think it's worth going over. Yeah. I just, I'm still trying to stomach what that like. There's layers there that are so confusing that you have to think that, like. Let me put it this way. The layers there are so weird. It smells just like the Mayfield left shoulder thing it, where it's like, where's the gap here with these yeah. people in, yeah. in all of this? That's that's yeah, just it's, the reality. No, I yes. And I think, you know, uh, I think we, <laughs> we went pretty hard into pessimism after the Friday. You know, we recorded after the Friday injury report and it was clear that he hadn't practiced at all week. And and before the game, people heard that podcast on Saturday before the game, and and it was I think some of the most ne- like negative reaction we've received for a podcast we've done together. And I think the reason for that was because it felt like we were being alarmist. And I imagine Jake that that people hearing this conversation would have a similar reaction in terms of asking questions about the relationship between the head coach and the quarterback. My response to that would be this, and I I don't mean this to be confrontational. I genuinely am curious. I would invite anybody that that disagrees with how Jake just characterized that to uh, get at me on social media. My handle is my full name, and I, I what I want to hear is what is the logical, what is the narrative that you can put together that makes this make sense? Because here, here's the facts that we know: the quarterback didn't throw the ball all week. Despite that fact, the team was very confident he was going to play Sunday. And then they they were taken aback and caught off guard by the fact that he wasn't ready to play. So those, if those are the facts that we know, based on, you know, like you said, a lot of what we've heard from Nathan Segura and other people in the building, even some of what the players said, right, about the, the game plan not changing. Well, Watson said it too. He told Mary Kay, "Right, I'm okay. I'll be ready yeah, to go." Right. right. Okay. So yes, that's another that, important data that, point. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah. It is. And right. what I'm saying is, and, and I'll pass it right back to you, is like, if that's the case, is there a level of like Kevin and AVP and the guys believing him, and then they do show up because they're like, well, you know, we don't know Deshaun with injuries yet. He's telling us he's going to play. We'll just bank on him playing. He's been through this, right? Whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they show up. And he says, I can't go. And that screws everything over. But that's my point. Your job is not to trust a player who's telling you something about the single most important cog in throwing yeah. the football. You mm-hmm. have to, as a staff, have contingency plans prepared for that. Right. Well, I can that- see a, a way, a situation where they are like, oh, my God, he's not playing. He told us he was going to get, you know, he's going to be ready. But your job is to prepare for the unprepared, right? Like That's my exact point. That's where I'm headed with this is that if those are the facts and that's what happened, then to me it's a clear, uh, you know, um, mistake on the part of the coaching staff to not prepare a, a plan B because I don't see the benefit of assuming that everything's like it's this is it, this is you know the sort of common sense that everybody in their everyday life and their work life uh you know you make contingency plans we all do it right like if you're going on vacation sometimes you bring an extra pair you know you got a business trip you bring an extra pair of slacks because well what if on the first day you know there's i go to a, you know the guy that i'm the customer i'm visiting takes me to a chili dog place well I, you know i've got a whole week i can't just have two pairs of slacks and one of them's got chili all over so i'm going to take a third pair of slacks even though i don't think i need it because 
As everybody knows this phrase, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. It's like something your grandfather said to you. So what I'm saying is if this is the story that, that has emerged, then the only logical response that you can have is, well, why weren't they more prepared for the thing that they thought wasn't possible? Because the whole point of the NFL is to be prepared for the thing that you think is impossible, right? Like the, 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 the games have to be, there has to be some level of contingency planning built into your preparedness for a game because the unexpected happens often. That's the whole draw of the league. I mean, and I'll, I'll say this, if it's a linebacker, who, you know, say it's Jeremiah Wusukormo who's got the same problem. He's got a, a bad elbow. And it's like, well, he he thinks he can go, you know, we'll see Sunday morning. And and so the difference now is maybe Mahmoud Diabate does he has to play, you know, 30 snaps instead of, you know, just special teams. That's not the difference between, you know, you're you're having a competitive game and not, right? Because you can scheme around that. But as you said, Jake, when it's your quarterback and it's his throwing shoulder, it seems to me like you're just neglecting your your job if you don't have at least at least spend a few hours on Saturday saying well if okay if if DTR has to go you know here's here's two dozen things that we like for him that that you know would be easy for a rookie that we would we won't run if Watson's going to play so we probably won't need these but you know what let's just let's just put together a quick 20 play you know 20 30 play list that kind of gets us somewhere and then we can figure some of the stuff out in the game if we have to it's not like they didn't have all week to to say exactly like what's harder to do prepare a rookie quarterback to perform a game plan built around your veteran uh air quotes top tier quarterback or your top tier quarterback to go into a dumbed down week of practice and then take those things and apply it and then sort of branch off of your traditional stuff it doesn't even need to be answered it's it's the it's the second part of that right where watson could come in and do some of the things they're asking dtr to do and then you can branch it and do some of your your core things that you already do so like they they were just asking this young kid to do the things that they would ask watson to do and you know that to me is 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 flawed it's so like the whole the whole week is so flawed and and again i i want to move past it here because we've we've hit this thing from about every angle like a combo move from a boxer i just don't know how guys who these are not like teachers who are teaching a half the day and then this is your job to have no contingency plan in place like if he's not gonna throw all week and we're having DTR take the first team reps anyway. Let's make the plan. And then if we have to take a dumbed down version of the offense and have Deshaun step into it, we can then branch off of some of those very simplistic, like instead of max protect, we're going to tell David, Hey man, we don't need you to chip. Just slide to the flat or, Hey, we're going to have you, you know, we're going to tag Y seam, right? You're going to tag the routes instead of having him chip or keep an extra body in or get under center and run max protect or whatever. Like, they didn't do any of that stuff. That <laughs> it's it's one of the worst. It is um, I'm just gonna say it. It's a Hugh Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchens level of malpractice last week. Doesn't define the season. Doesn't get Kevin fired, uh, right now. But what I'm saying is that is one of the more egregious things I've seen and just uh ill prepared for what the outcomes could be. Uh, given the situation, so that that's that's kind of it. I'll bury that offense stuff. If you and, and, if you you want to yeah. add to it, feel free. Well, just I, I, a very small tag. That's the last thing I would expect from Kevin Stefanski. Me too. 
That's why I was jarred on the post game. I couldn't believe it. And yeah. as I watched the film, I couldn't believe it. You know, it really gets elements... hammered home when you look at it. You know, yeah, uh, because you're 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 watching the offense from last week, and it's like, how? Yeah, it's there are there are things open. You watch the film. The O line is underperforming. There are aspects of this we can pick apart, right? Like an appetizer here, we could pick it all apart, and that's all fine, right? You can talk about, it, but the core of what they did, their identity. The baseline for how they operated with that young man was wild to put themselves in that situation. So, again, they could win the next four games and we maybe even forget all about this. But for the sake of being in the thick of it and a bye week makes us think about it twice as much, I still am jarred. The defense, Andrew, I'll say this. um, The pass stuff doesn't worry me. Lamar made some unbelievable throws. The crossbody throw to Andrews that turned into a chunk Mm -hmm. play literally was the riskiest of throws. Worked out the rail route throw to, against JOK, where a fraction of a of a finger he gets on that ball. You you break it up the the right corner touchdown to Andrews, where you know he's just flicking it up there and see what happens. And it was an us or nobody ball, and his guy got. I'm not that worried. The scramble out of the the pocket thing, like again, you play Lamar, those things are going to happen sometimes. But Lamar did some extra WTF stuff here that he was at his best. Like, he was at his best, and the things that were, you know, 50-50s worked out for him. And I'm not really worried about past stuff. There's one play, the last touchdown to Andrews, where the Browns blew what's called cover three Mabel, where they lock the backside of a three-by-one, and Anthony Walker didn't realize that quick enough and tries to point out the, the the mesh happening right in front of him from Andrews. He doesn't realize it in time, gets there late, so there's nobody there for Andrews because he tried to pass it off to two guys in what's called man everywhere. He goes, they call it Meg. It's a Meg check. So the corner's chasing the one man side. If there's a running back to the one man side of the three by one, that will linebacker JOK is playing the running back. So the, the linebacker who's sitting on the zone side of that, the Mike can't, he can't pass that route coming across his face onto anybody. Cause those guys are covering man coverage, right? It's a little, it's a man zone hybrid. It's a fun, it's a fun thing, but you got to do it right. He tried to pass it on. Andrews is open. They don't tackle him. That's a touch. That's the only one that was blown. Otherwise, whatever the run game stuff. I do get a little concerned because the Ravens are the first team to really put that jet motion in front of their face. And it slowed down. The Browns were really cognizant of like, their bump rules and the gap exchange rules that happen when you get that jet motion. I talked about with John Stephenson last night, and when you get it, it slows down some of that aggressive downhill stuff. If you look at the difference between the Browns' run defense when there was jet motion and when there was no motion, it's pretty jarring because the linebackers are very hesitant and confused. And I'm just telling you, Shanahan notices it. <laughs> the guys they're playing, I mean, the, the, listen, the um Seahawks were using some really funky creative motion you know McVay notices it so that's going to be a core part of the way teams try to get run game off the ground against the Browns you line up and try to ram the ball down the Browns throat duo inside zone no motion no movement no thought about where your gap is exchanging moving whatever then then the Browns are going to beat you up they're they're good enough to do that but if you do some of the funky movement stuff I just think the Browns have to work on how they're handling that that jet motion and fly motion right before the snap. And they're worrying. I, I again talked to John about it. They're worrying too much about that guy. How often does that guy actually get the ball? It's like it's not that often. Pretty rare, to be honest. How often that player at the NFL level takes that handoff and runs the the jet or fly sweep occasionally, but they're giving it way too much concern and it's slowing down how quickly they're triggering on some run stuff. So that's the only thing. I need to see them get rectified because um, it, it it killed them. It really killed them and some some gap exchange stuff. So um, anyway, that's that's the wrap on 
um, the game. Unless you have anything to add on the defense or anything before we shift over, because we got a bunch of topics to hit through the mailbag, but I, I want to make sure I've given you the, an, enough ample time to wrap your thoughts up, Andrew. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, like you said, I, I think um, it's a yeah, it's it's I like I, I I agree with you about the run game stuff, and as you really astutely pointed out, there's some teams coming up on the schedule. You know, Kyle Shanahan, Shane Waldron, Sean McVay. Those guys are, are going to be noting everything that the Ravens did, you know, especially Shanahan uh, in two weeks. And so they have a chance to come out and fix that stuff and, and you know, kind of put that to rest. But it's going to be tough because the you know, I think we know how good the 49ers are as a as an offense and as a team. So um, it's a stern challenge. Uh, I think we'll talk probably later in the week and the next week about like what this schedule looks like from here and, and where the season is headed. Um, but I, I, I think it's imperative that they, you know, especially if they're going to struggle with the 49ers, which I, I don't see any way that they don't at least struggle with that game, then, you know, what, what transpires beyond that, um, in, in those next few weeks before they get back into the divisional games, is going to be so vital to the season being meaningful for the Browns. Well said, well said. Okay. Listen, we're going to shift off that game. Going to go to the midweek uh, mailbag there's a ton of great questions um andrew and i will uh, parse through some topics and and cover it as best we can for you guys but we're going to do so right after the break so word from our sponsors and then we will be right back we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, 
comedy and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone, all right? So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, back from the break, we are going to dive into questions. And we'll do our best here. Some questions are, um, the the grammar's a little funky. We'll uh, We'll try to... Make sure we give your your question due diligence. Some will be easier to answer than others and will require a little bit more conversation. I just want to preface with that. So, Andrew, um, the first question here says, I noticed Monken called the plays from upstairs in the booth and he was able to adjust. I haven't been impressed with Kevin's ability to adjust during the course of a game. You mentioned he changed up the running schemes late. And the game was some success. I just I, I mentioned inside zone happened late, largely because they were just calling plays to get the team out of the stadium. The final part of this is says, couldn't he be quicker with adjustments if he had a play caller upstairs? I'll uh I'll pass to you. You go ahead and answer that first. Uh yeah, I mean, I think this definitely falls into the category of things that they could change um over the bye week, even that would help their operation. Uh having said that. It's his fourth season, and he hasn't seen the need for it yet. Um, I mean, you, you go back to previous seasons. AVP's been on the sideline every year. I believe Drew Petzing always was as well. Chad O'Shea's down there. Stump Mitchell's down there. Uh, Bill Callahan's down there. I, 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 Scott Peters is down there. I mean, we're running out of offensive coaches. So I, I'm sure. I mean, I doubt the coaches' booth is empty, but the people they've got up there are not um, decision makers on their offensive staff. I guess is the way that I would say that. So. Uh, they're getting the information. Obviously, they've got those tablets, you know, on the sidelines, so they can they can chop that the that film up as soon as they have it for every drive. Uh, I don't, you know, speaking of that, Jake, I don't know that I've ever noticed Kevin looking at one of those. Uh, maybe you can think of a time, uh, but I don't know that I've ever seen that. So, I would say overall, my impression of Kevin Stefanski is that he likes his plans coming into the game and doesn't often change them. Don't have much evidence to argue with that, my friend. There's probably some halftime discussions, but halftime adjustments are always a bit uh, uh, overblown. It's just like a buzzword in the NFL, right? Um, I do think that it is flummoxing, like that flummoxing for me, that they don't have a guy upstairs that matters. I'm actually blown away by it. I have done this on a super small scale. I am not Kevin. I'm not in the NFL, clearly. Um, but I think that just seeing things from a high vantage point and the, and the speed at which you can process play to play what they're doing, uh, is 
is has advantages. I'm not saying that there are not plenty of guys that do this from the sideline, but to not have your OC. Now, I'm like you said, I'm pretty sure most of the names you mentioned are on the sideline. I have seen like AVP hovers near him. Callahan's been a sideline guy. I can't say that I've keyed in and watched to see Callahan again, but your O-line guys usually always on the sideline. Yeah, he's on the um, sideline. Quarterback coach is not a position that they have anymore. So M- Musgrave may be sitting up there. Yeah, I don't I don't know, but it's not enough important people to to me. Um, I'm a little it makes it's something I don't agree with, but I, I mean nothing to the uh, situation here. I just think that the advantages from your people who actually make those decisions uh, being in a box sitting up high, like I know the younger Callahan who calls is it Brian who calls yep. Cincinnati's offense sits up high. Mm-hmm. I, I again, like I think Anna Rumo's on the sideline. It varies. I just think there's a level of emotion and energy tied to that, that I think a defensive coordinator should be on the sideline. But, you know, I, from, from the offensive side, we were very calm, calculated, trying to do things quickly. It's, it's jarring to me that they don't have a more important guy on the sideline. We'll leave it at that. So, yeah. Um, and like I right. said, it's, I, I would group that with a lot of other things, small things that, you know, you could see tweaked um, over this bye week if they're, if they're trying to fix things or change things. But um, you know, I, 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 not to suggest that they are, but just to say that it would be an easy change to make, uh, to send Chad O'Shea up there or whatever. So, all right, next question. Um, is there concern in your eyes about the aggressiveness of our edges getting taken advantage of in the run game? It seemed like it was easy to walk 99 and 95 up the field out of the play at times from the TV view, especially with a guy like Lamar at quarterback. Yeah. So there's some scheme stuff that you have to, coach up your edge guys about right i mean what are they doing they're reading the tackle so there's a that first touchdown from lamar like the tackle uh over miles i forget mccarry steps down he he steps down to gap down and miles is still upfield he doesn't squeeze it that was horrible uh he graded out really poorly in the run game to answer your question i don't think 95 and 99 being Miles and Zadarius are are putting everything into run defense. Now, I think that they're they're still out. They're fine, but they're not keying that because they're not kind of coached to like your job is to get after the quarterback. Now, I thought it got better as the game went on, and he read some keys. He sque- he was squeezing things down better, but there were some moments where, and you can be easily influenced if you're if you're an, an edge and you the tackle pass sets. You have to read. You, that's your read. You're going to read pass. So you are going to be upfield and teams will encourage that. Right. But you also need in weeks that you do play a team with a plus what I, you know, what is known as a plus one in the running game, what there's a quarterback that you design runs for. You have to know that in down and distance neutral situations, there is a chance where I'm getting pass set and then be ready to drive maybe to, to to take less of an angle at the quarterback on the arc right and maybe work through your guy and then be ready to shock shed and squeeze down at the moment of, of need so there's some game plan stuff there I, I guess the to the root of your question um am i concerned about how easy it is i don't think it's easy necessarily i don't think the browns were sharp on it the way they needed to be there is some uh window dressing stuff that you can do to confuse those guys edge players based on what they read but um, I'm not long-term concerned about it, but it is something teams are going to try to do. And Baltimore is unique. I mean, the Browns will play Justin Fields, but there's not many running quarter Richardson will. So they'll need to be ready for Richardson, but 
yeah, I mean, it's not like every week you're playing a plus one in the run game, right? So you just have to you have to know what your your opponent is liking to do and be ready to adjust on the fly. And they just weren't sharp at it. I think um, I expect them to be a bit more sharp at that as we uh, as we move forward. Let's let's put it that way. All right. Next question. Out of all the negatives, an increase in eleven and the a massive uptick in shotgun could be viewed as a, as a positive. It seemed that uh, during the chalk talk that you did, Jake, that the, the game plan could have worked with Watson. And then, so yeah, he's trying to separate the idea that they shouldn't have run with the same game plan from the idea that the game plan that they did have seemed pretty good for the Ravens. Yeah, I think so. It's possible, right? Could Watson have quickly gotten down to those checkdowns? Maybe, right? I think there were a lot of opportunities for that. Could Watson have, you know, looked off things a little bit more to hold a window? Maybe, right? I mean, I think I actually saw some data today where Watson throws to his first read among the highest in mm. the NFL. I don't know how they track that. I mean, again... You know, yeah. what a first read is versus like how the scheme's drawn up. I mean, I, I think I know how they're tracking it, whether that I guess the quarterback's eyes move off of that spot. But, you know, schemes have like a zone and a man side and there's a lot of layers to that. So you're kind of dancing a fine line trying to like, well, he's a first read guy. But I mean, yeah, I think Watson could also save some of those sack situations. It it, it wasn't. If, if Watson was playing, you would have had a better chance. It's hard for me to sit here and be like, that would have been a great game plan. But based on the plays we saw called, it would have been in all likelihood a more promising game from Deshaun than what we saw from the rookie, right? That's I would, I would hope that's abundantly obvious. Sure. Yeah, so an uptick in 11 personnel where I said yesterday they ran like 90% of the game in 11 personnel. I think that's encouraging. I want them to be an 11 personnel team more than anything. I think the thing that's really crazy to me, Andrew, and I, I hit on this because I wrote up a ton of stuff before the game is the Ravens were the worst uh, of their entire unit. If you got them in base, that was their worst EPA per pass by far when they're in base defense. And like the Browns just having nothing for Jordan Akins is kind of amazing to me. I thought that mm-hmm. guy could be a real asset. And that like, there's going to be some quarter check-in stuff we're going to do like over the weekend and into next week where yeah, um, I just can't believe they can't find a way to use Jordan Akins and like, get the could they have gotten these guys into more base look right with three tight ends and then did some of the shotgun or empty things off of that or some play action off of that 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 used those tight ends that was kind of jarring to me and i still remain sort of confused at why we can't run a little more 12 like 11's fine i want to be an 11 often i'm I'm really good with that so to answer the root of that question there yeah i, I think that's great the shotgun uptick i think the shotgun uptick is because you're trailing by 20 you know what 24 mm-hmm. points in the late fourth quarter if you're winning that game or it's a net neutral game or seven on one side seven on the other you're probably under center a little bit more and it in, ends up in the 60 percent range instead of the 80 percent range but um yeah i, I like 11 i again the, the, some of the tight end stuff where i'm seeing harrison Bryan a little more than i thought i would and just having no clear plan to get Jordan Akins involved when I watched Jordan Akins like be a real player for the Texans last year is a bit, uh, it's a bit confusing, right? You know, so I guess I'll take it as a step in the right direction. They got uh, David and Joku involved finally uh, a little bit, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, all right, let's, let's shift over to this one, Andrew. This question says without mentioning, this is from our, our, our good buddy, uh, Clay Cleology said without mentioning Baker Mayfield or anything related to Baker Mayfield, why didn't our quarterback play Sunday in a crucial division matchup if it was confirmed he was cleared to play by our medical staff? Uh, I'll let you answer that first. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the short answer is the video that I saw of him throwing last week, even on Friday, and then what people reported seeing in the stadium was that he wasn't really able to throw the ball. So, uh, you know, I mean, I guess we can go down the road of, you know, 
um, a, a player being cleared to play and choosing not to, and you know, guaranteed contracts and what's his motivation and all that stuff. I that doesn't seem to be relevant to me. I mean, Deshaun Watson at one point drove from Houston to Jacksonville uh, to make sure that he could uh, play in a football game because he he couldn't fly because he had a punctured lung. So. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't actually driving. I'm sure he was driven. But still, I think the point remains. Like, he has proven in his time in the NFL that he's he's a tough dude that wants to be out there on the field. I'm not at a position to start doubting that yet. I, I haven't really seen any evidence to to doubt that. I think, I think his injury is more severe than the Browns have indicated, and I think that the, I think that he just wasn't able to, you know, put any zip on the ball. And I mean, we have seen other quarterbacks struggle to you know finish throws drive throws when their shoulder is hurt even their off shoulder and it can be catastrophic so I think he probably made the right decision based on what he was feeling on Sunday morning and I think it goes back to what we spent the first half hour of the show talking about I don't understand why there wasn't a plan in place well you know on top of that are we sure this injury is going to be fine for San Francisco not at all can't not at all not at all no and I don't I think based on the way that they mishandled it last weekend, there's no reason to expect that that when, you know, they ask Kevin and he says, oh, yeah, he's yeah, he's we expect him to be ready for San Francisco. Why would I believe that? Because he spent the entire last week expecting him to be ready for Baltimore. So, no, I I I think I think that you can you can say he's got two weeks to get better and he, you know, is obviously going to be getting consistent treatment still. But I think one of the other things that, that gets lost in all of this is. If if Watson is even like, you know, questionable on the injury report next Wednesday, they need to be getting PJ Walker ready to start against the 49ers. They cannot do what they did this past Sunday, whether they change the game plan or not. They cannot go put DTR back out there again when they've got another player that that has, you know, seven NFL starts to DTR's one. I, I don't see any reason not to get Walker ready to go out there. Yeah, which is a later question that somebody else asked about. Yeah. Would you see PJ Walker playing? So that's answered. I would I would agree with that. I don't have anything to add to it. I think you handled that question about as well as possibly could. So the people who just want to believe every report, there's a bunch of confirmation bias that happens, and yeah. I'm not really paying any more attention to it. If you want to come at me or come at Andrew and say you guys are being super negative or you know the report's out there, it's laid right there. This is what Watson said. He said he's going to play. Okay, well we've seen the uh, this is this is years now where we've seen people saying things mm-hmm. and they're they're not happening. So right. you can call us conspiracy theorists, you can call us Mr. Pfizer, you can do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> shout out to today's news, but like you can do all that you want, but we we are just saying this is they, they've given us evidence right. to not believe it anymore. So. Yeah, and then and then you've got the CBS reporter. I think we talked about this the other day. You've got the CBS reporter saying during the game, Evan Washburn. That you know he's got fluid buildup around the the joint, so that and that's more than we've known. Exactly, exactly. So, so yeah. If if you if you're not if you if what happened this past weekend hasn't gotten you cynical enough about the Browns' unwillingness to disclose injury information and their their willingness to soft sell how bad injuries are, there's you're not moving off of that, and there's no point arguing about it. So yeah, let's move on to the next question. Um, This is from our our good friend Philly. Um, All right, so the Browns. Uh, showed that they wanted to install the RPO last year against Houston, right? Because that first game that Watson was back, it was a totally different offense. And then in the offseason, they hired Bill Musgrave, who's a, a noted shotgun run guru, I guess, if we want to be as complimentary as possible. Um, then we talk, they, they talk openly, the Browns talk openly all offseason about changes to the offense. They showed the gun run in the preseason with some inside zone stuff, even in that 
uh, Hall of Fame game against the Jets when they could have been as vanilla as they wanted to be. They they put it out there. And then none of that stuff has really shown up in, in the season. So Philly's question is, what are the possible reasons that they haven't made those changes after all the indications that they would? Philly, you tell me, because that's the reason <laughs> we're talking about this shit, because I don't know. You, Andrew, the thing that, and I'll go back to this, and I'm glad he mentioned it, because it's a thing I want to talk about this um, this week. You can sit here and tell me that Kevin wants to run his old offense. You can sit here and tell me, you know, like he he believes in the Kubiak stuff, the cheat code. And I, I'm with you. You made some great points in our Slack today that are very well noted. Um, and I'm not going to read all of those to you guys, but just know that Andrew's a sharp dude and he made some good points about Kevin's <laughs> unwillingness to adapt. Take what I'm getting at, you take it and take my word. I wouldn't lie about it. Um, they came out against Houston in Watson's first start and they looked exactly how I hoped they would look. Now, it was awful because they haven't done it. They were switching off of um, you know, this this way of Kevin's identity uh and what he was doing for uh, Jacoby. The offense wasn't quite used to it, but they did the read flat wheel stuff. They did creative RPO designs consistently. They were running inside zone off of the RPO looks and and it was fine. And it looked, it looked a little bit ugly, like a team trying to do one thing week 12 and do another thing, sorry, 11 and then do another thing week 12. That's all fine. They just abandoned it. And I could understand abandoning it after that game, because you just would say, okay, let's just try to win enough to maybe get in the playoffs and go back to what we were doing. And, you know, 98% of the offense is comfortable with this. And we'll just hope Deshaun can get his feet under him and do these things. They, did it the first game. So why is Jake so mad? I'm mad because they've shown they would do it and they, they, they know what is necessary. And they just said, we're done with this. We're not doing it. I'm so dumbfounded. And the, the singular question I would like to ask the organization, the people responsible for the offense is what were you thinking with that first game of Watson's in Houston, where you were doing the things that I expected you to do, the things that he was finding crazy amounts of success with in 2020, you know, the, the wrinkles to the, the, the concepts in terms of, you know, you were a little bit empty. You ran these, you ran like eight, nine, 10 RPOs. You did the read flat wheel stuff, which is so fun for a mobile quarterback like Watson. And he shredded with it. Like what, why did you just give it up? Why did you go away from it? And then, you have this entire, you know, okay. So let me, like you have the entire off season and we, you talk about it. We don't ever see it like now we have. So you'll say, Jake, well, how can you expect them to just fix this on the bye week I expect them to still be able to do it because they've shown they could do it on a week to week basis. Like at least try it. I would rather have them ram their head into the wall last year, trying to get better at doing that shit so they could come out this year and be a core part of their identity, but they just ripped it up. I'm telling you, you might think I'm an idiot, but go back and watch Watson's opener in Houston, which again, an ugly game. And you might say, Jake, why the hell do you want them to do? They were awful in that game. Why were they awful guys? A quarterback back in his first start in forever. He's making his debut in his effing home stadium. He's so nervous. He's trying to, you know, do things a mile a minute. The offense is trying to adjust to things that he's been good at. It's it's not going to be good right off the rip, but there was an under, from my opinion, I thought there was an understanding that these guys would keep doing that, getting better at it. And that's who they'd be. And then they come out this year, like a well-oiled machine, 
doing these things and making things hard on defenses. Instead, they went immediately back to these old ways and they've gone sort of stagnant. They've not even remotely moved on. Like, like they had a conversation after that game, this, the offense, like we can't do this stuff. We're never doing and they, I'm just, I'm amazed that, that, that you would take this time to trade for Watson. Talk about, this is why we want him. This is what we got iPads full of plays. We're excited to put in with him. And this, and you've basically copy pasted the Jacoby Brissett, Baker Mayfield angle, 95% of that and just thrown Watson into it. And that's your answer. Like that is why you traded for this guy. Like it's one of the most confusing 2023 questions I have right now. I mean, to me, it's the only 2023 question that matters. So you could talk about the defense till you're blue in the face, but the quarterback's here for four years, you know, beyond this. And this is not why he came to Cleveland. I would almost bet you, I'd bet you my entire guaranteed paycheck. (laughs) Or, or, or if that's the case and like they, they thought that he could just fit into what they do. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's the, it's so dumb. I just can't, I, I, I've said it too many times. I think you guys are probably sick of hearing me say it. So we're going to move on from it. But just understand, I need you to understand why, you know, if I'm the only one doing this, there's a bunch of people telling you on social media that, that there's a bunch of overreaction. And, you know, uh, there's uh, there's a whole crowd out there who want to just be like onto the bye week and they're going to get better. And I can't believe you guys are abandoning. Like, no, man, I'm telling you, if they continue the status quo on offense, and Andrew and I have talked about this, I'm not even sure we've made it really public. They'll maybe sneak in the playoffs. They might go nine and eight. They might go ten and seven. They'll win some games against bad defenses. They'll get to the playoffs, and then they'll get boat raced. They'll get boat raced by uh, Miami or or Buffalo or whoever. And if you're all in, right, you're all in. You've committed all your assets. You've committed all this money. You've committed to, to signing players on short term deals the way the Browns are, and that's your ceiling with this offense. That is your ceiling. It is your ceiling. If you would have committed, and you can still do that starting right now, it's not too late. If you could commit to doing things that make you unique, diverse, and 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 really pump up the attributes that make Deshaun Watson the guy that you decided to sell everything about your reputation and $230 million guaranteed, those things are still in that quarterback. But you guys have failed, and you've been afraid to take the risk that's necessary to give this thing the chance to be great. You've just tried to play it careful, and that is so effing disappointing to me. And they're in this situation where the ceiling of the offense, as the status quo is is sitting right now, is so low that, like I said, the talent enough will win them some games. The defense is good enough. They'll maybe sneak in. But you are not in the realm of serious Super Bowl contender. You're not. Don't kid yourself. Unless this thing changes, write the timestamp down. I'm saying this. I don't care. (laughs) It is what I firmly believe about what they are. Like you said today, Andrew, and I think you said it very well. They're putting the quarterback into like playing the the football game on all Madden difficulty. You watch the Dolphins and you're seeing Tua get these rookie, you know, rookie. I'm giving a video game reference here. These rookie level reads where it's like, oh, that guy's so wide open. It's almost like he's playing the game on the easiest level, right? Mm -hmm. They are making it hard on the quarterback not giving their their group the chance to take the risk to be great. They're just playing it close to the vest. They're, they're playing it cowardly is what I'm going to say. And that's it. I'll shut up. No, I think you said it all very well. And uh, we'll talk some over the, the bye week of kind of bigger picture questions. And that's the, as I said a minute ago, that's the biggest question facing the team is what's the direction of the offense. And 
can they get the quarterback and the play caller who's also the head coach on the same page? Because I don't think whether you're talking about the injury stuff that just cropped up in week four or the, the design of the offense, I don't think that they are on the same page, right? I mean, you had that uh, that report from Aditi Kinkabwala in, uh, I think that was week three when they had the Titans, that Watson's just begging Stefanski for more empty and, and you know, finally feels like he's starting to get that, you know, f- starting to get that yes. And, and I think we saw that even in the game plan that they had DTR run on Sunday. But, uh, but I think... I, you know, yeah, I think it, it has all come very slowly, and I think that there are reasons why that we can go into. But you know, what what I'll say is that it's a seventeen game season. We've seen four of them. Uh, they have to continue to evolve and change this offense for them to get to where they want to go. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. All right, so all we right. have two, two questions about the offensive line. Um, one, you know, kind of about. Uh, what can you what can you say to explain the declining offensive line play, um, you know, and then and then one kind of more about Dewan Jones, but uh, you know, I, I guess just just you know, you you kind of talked earlier about the struggles that Jed Wills has had and how he has regressed now to being one of the the worst left tackles in the league. Um, you know, he's definitely bottom I think bottom quarter of the league right now. Uh, that you know, obviously, we just talked about the offense as a scheme overall that limits what they can do as an offense if if their left tackle is giving up you know a significant amount of pressures on a weekly basis um I, I guess yeah just share with me some of your thoughts on the offensive line overall and and what you think their outlook is for the rest of the year well i've I've covered it you know a little earlier so i don't i don't think we need to go into depth on all these guys but the Agreed. question here you know the scheme age mileage I mean, probably eventually Joel Batonio is not going to be all pro every year. Like it's going to happen. I don't, he could just be off to a rough start. He's not been up to par. I think the question last year, you, I think you and I scratched the surface of it was, is Ethan Postage riding a heater before he got hurt? And the version of Ethan Postage that is the version of who he is really is more this guy that after the bye week where he's, he's fine. He's okay. Not good to great the way he was grading out before that injury. I think we're kind of seeing a little bit of that here and why I was a little surprised that they gave him the contract that they did. He's fine, but he's not among the best centers in the NFL, right? I, I just don't, I don't believe that. Um, Wyatt Teller has been is inconsistent. It's, it's maddeningly inconsistent now. I mean, yep. he'll have some great plays. He'll have some downfield pancakes that'll get the, the Brian Baldingers of the world pumped up and they'll put out a video and you'll, you'll believe that that's the cult, you know, the pentultimate thing of who the players that that's, he is inconsistent in pass protection. He too often gets beat with with hand placement and his strike, and the guys are able to swipe the hands away and turn that little tight corner on him from a three technique, and it's driving me nuts. He should be better. They're paying him to be better. He has not been good enough. So I don't know if they get better. They're talented enough to just, hey, they're just playing better. They're 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 sticking blocks or, or you know, they're doing a better job of this. They've done a better job handling twist stunts, which it seems like Joel and, and sometimes Joel and Jed, like have never met before. There's no communication there at times. <laughs> so like they could just play better. Sometimes it's literally just as simple as they played pretty well, or they didn't play well. And right now they're just not playing well. I don't think the scheme is an issue because the scheme is the same thing. It's always been for the most part. I mean, you can say age with Joel or, some of these guys, the mileage is getting a little higher, maybe. And and Nick Chubb does mask some of this stuff. Yep. Um, there's no doubt he can make a guy miss at the line of scrimmage, and then that play turns in from like a two yard gain into, you know, twenty four yard gain. But but I think they just have to play better. And if this is the level of play they're going to provide all year, 
you made a great point a moment ago, Andrew, which is this is a concern for what they can do ultimately. And I think then you have to say, how can we help with that? Well, guess what helps with that? The simplicity of inside zone. If you have weak tackle play, uh, you you probably should try to accentuate downhill running north and south behind a guard center guard that are the strength of your group, right? The the strength of your core is mm-hmm. is there. You know, they the continue to do more gap scheme stuff, but not lateral, more, more power, more put the foot in the ground and get downhill type stuff. So I, I think you can do some stuff with scheme, but they just need to play better. And uh, that comes down to what's going on in the meeting room, what's going on in the practice field, and hopefully they turn it around. The talent's there. We all know that. Yeah. They just need to play better. There, there's just some miscommunication stuff that's driving me nuts too. Two guys blocking the same person. And yeah. If you get that one person blocked up, you got a, da- a chance for a decent run or whatever. And uh, there's two things, right? Run game, it's that. Too many people missing an assignment where you should have one hat on one hat and you have two on a on a hat, leaving somebody unblocked. And then in pass protection, it's the twist stuff, the line games that are giving them giving them fits, and that's really frustrating. And then on top of just the the situation with Jed, so you know when you when you when you tie that into um, Jed's just poor poor performance, you can get you know four guys blocked up really well, but if there's one guy giving you an issue, then then that can ruin a play pretty quickly. So yeah, and I you know the big picture thing here is. We can. We talked about the offense. We we talked a little bit about the defense. You talk about different positions. You can. There are excuses. There are kind of things you can say to to mitigate that. Help you understand that. the The truth of the offensive line is there is almost no excuse for them to not be one of the best units in the league. Right. You've got a first round left tackle. You've got a, an all pro uh, potential Hall of Fame left guard. You just re-signed the center. You didn't have to. Nobody forced you to do that. You went out and paid him. Um, you, you ponied up a ton of money for Wyatt Teller and then extended him. And then, uh, you had Jack Conklin, you know, obviously right tackle relatively is, is the weakness you, but you, you know, the, from a, from an off season perspective, you invested in every position along the line is my point. There's a, they are paying, I think the second most money in average annual value to their offensive line of any team in the league. They're right there with the Eagles. And if you put, put on an Eagles game and then you watch what the Browns are doing, it is not the same. Nope. And, and, and so then you, so then maybe you turn to, okay, well, if the talent's there, then what about the coaching? It's Bill Callahan. There, there are, there is literally not another offensive line coach as respected as Bill Callahan in the league. Now, I guess we can go to the place of asking if he's a little disinterested or not, you know, working this as well as he, I, I mean, that's really where we're at because I'm telling you, from a from a cost perspective, from an investment perspective, from a talent perspective, they are as committed as any team in the league to having the best offensive line in the league. We're not talking like top half of the league. When you're spending the second most money of any team in the league on your offensive line, your offensive line needs to be top three. And they're not right now playing like a top 10 unit, let alone a top three unit. So the gap between the investment they've made and the results they're getting it is in some sense, if you look at what they're paying in aggregate value, it's it's on the same level as the problem with the quarterback in terms of production, right? Because you put those contracts together, it's the Deshaun Watson contract. All right, next question. Uh question about tr- available trades. Somebody asking if there are any available uh, offensive tackles or running backs that might be available during the bye week. Um, and they're looking for names. And then at the end, they said something about Jonathan Taylor, which dovetails well with the an article that Mary Kay Cabot wrote tonight about uh, how the Browns should trade for Jonathan Taylor. And then that actually connects to another question here, which is uh, what is the likelihood that Nick Chubb returns next year because of the, uh, you know, the $12 million uh, salary against the cap and it's not guaranteed. And so they could just move on if they wanted to. 
or you know potentially rework his deal. So I think we can kind of take these as one, right? Yeah, I think we can, right? I, I mean, I think with Nick, and we'll try to be fast on the way out the door. We've covered a lot. We've got a lot of ground we've covered yeah, here. Yeah. Um, Nick, you you felt like there would be less interest in something serious at running back if the six to eight month goofiness, which, God, man, that harkens back to our conversation around the weirdness of the way we talk about injuries, like the Jalen Ramsey thing that, like, over the course of four days just kept getting worse. It's like we try to, yep. like, sugarcoat these injuries instead of, just being realistic about like Nick's knee was 90 degrees. Like there's no way he just hurt the MCL. It was goofy. There's no way. So yeah, I think you can kind of get serious about this. I would expect if they think Nick can really make a full recovery, they take care of him just because I think Andrew, we've learned over the last two weeks here, how just how important it it goes beyond he's at miles Garrett's tier and he might even be beyond number one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of blown me away, which is is amazing because of how much respect we have for mm-hmm. Nick before that. But just the way the response, all of it, I expect Nick to be back in a Browns uniform late next year. But that doesn't mean they won't address um, a running back in a in a premium pick that they have in the draft or something. I do not expect them to go the Jonathan Taylor route, even though would if I saw that trade come to light this week, I wouldn't be mouth agape i've seen today no. that jonathan taylor is still wanting out of it he's practicing but he wants out there because mm-hmm. there's a world where indy's like give us a fourth and we're good we're just tired of dealing with him and yep. the browns say hey we'll we'll do a fourth uh, and then we'll um figure it out maybe there's a contract here maybe there's not if if not you know we're we're taking a risk but maybe the risk works out maybe it doesn't my my point being i wouldn't be stunned if i saw it i don't think the browns have the assets for what indy's still looking for Right, right. Uh, in this situation, and I feel like Indy's in the mood to, to sort of, uh, I don't know, really think how it benefits him long term. But they're playing hardball here with him as hard as they can Chris, because of the public yeah. nature, right? So, go ahead. Chris Ballard is that guy in your fantasy league that is like spinning the wildest trades to you, like on a Sunday afternoon while the games are happening. He's just like, uh, oh, man, what do you think about Jamar Chase for like, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> Puka Nakua, you know, like, wait, wait, let's do that mm-hmm. right now. Let's make that, ha- you know, he, they were talking about wanting what Michael, uh, not Mike, because he plays to the Colts. He, they were talking about wanting Christian Watson from the Packers, right? Or Jalen Waddle from the Dolphins in return for a, a running back that is out the door at the end of the season. Chris Ballard is spamming, uh, cheese, cheesing trade requests or trade proposals to all of the other owners in the NFL. And I guarantee you, he is getting made fun of by are not owners general managers (laughs) yeah they're so determined to not feel like they lost this because it's gone so public that Mm -hmm. they're they're doing they're losing it they're making it worse (laughs) yes they're making it worse and the players are watching this nfl players are watching how they handle it so it's it's bad all around but Mm -hmm. yeah i mean the taylor thing like in a madden probably is like hell yeah let's do it why not oh for sure like yeah in a fantasy world here but it's hard to uh, in an, a team that's got the cap so you know meticulously tied into so many things, and yeah. the biggest part of what Taylor wants is more money, which is understandable. Then you would say, okay, the Browns were to somehow work out some sort of deal with him. Then you're carrying Nick's number and his number next year. I don't know, man. I just I don't. I think mean, it's wor- I don't see it. I think the, the only way it makes sense is what you said is if their if their trade demands went down far enough that the Browns could basically say we will trade a fourth for him this year, and then hope to get a third and a comp pick when he leaves in free agency. That's the only way it makes sense, right? Because they will yeah. probably be 
in the comp pick market in the coming years because they're going to have to mostly re-sign their own players and their free agency budget was going to be a lot smaller because of their cap situation. So that I think that's the only way that it makes sense that they could they could kind of say, well, we're just basically deferring, you know, this pick a year or maybe even hoping to upgrade. But I, I as you said, I think the biggest stumbling block to any of this is that Indianapolis still wants a king's ransom. I also would just make the observation that if we're trying to help the offense, um, Nick Chubb is one of one in terms of making poorly blocked runs into gains. I, I think we saw Jonathan Taylor, Taylor struggle behind a pretty poor offensive line last year. And so if the Browns are having the same run blocking struggles in the weeks to come against lesser defenses, I, I Taylor's going to struggle in the same way that Jerome Ford's going to struggle. Um, yeah. If you want to improve the offense and you think a trade is the right way to do that, I think adding a wide receiver makes more sense or, you know, to, to the original question, uh, you know, uh, adding depth at tackle. There are not many tackles out there. The name Garrett Bowles has been floated around just because he's a free agent coming up and mm-hmm. uh, the Broncos are where the Broncos are. Um, but I don't think Sean Payton's really in the position to want to make his team any worse in the short term. But I do think a wide receiver, you know, is is something that they could investigate, just adding another option to that room. But then we go down the road of what you mentioned earlier. They're not using Jordan Akins. We've never even seen Cedric Tillman. I, th- I don't think, has he caught a pass yet this season? He had one catch um, for five yards in the okay, so so he's he's on the board game. for one. Um, Marquise Goodwin's barely been involved, so they have weapons in the in the building already that they're not properly using. So I don't think that you know adding another one, unless it was a true over the top move, would really move the needle. So yeah, I, I think my guess would be right now they stand pat, and if they are going to make a move, it would be in another few weeks when the trade market gets a little clearer as the deadline approaches. Good call. I like it. All right. Now, we don't have any more. I think we, if you guys, there are a lot of questions on scheme that I think ended up crossing over here. So we're going to skip some yeah. more of those. Cause I think we've covered yeah. that from every yeah. angle. So if we, if we go off about the Browns offense and scheme issues one more time, people might, you know, really turn us off, which we don't want, I guess want. as long as you're downloading, that's fine. But uh, we do like it. If you finish the entire podcast, um, That'd be great. okay. Uh, last two questions. This is just a quick one. Uh, somebody asking about top five coaching candidates. If the Browns <laughs> make a change there, I, I appreciate the question. I, I think the, the the answer to that is is really so far off of the radar right now. For it should be, uh, just because I think that there's a lot more to go here, and I think there's a lot of different ways that things can go. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I would just say two names in terms of, you know, if you're watching the NFL and not watching the Browns, like this weekend with the bye, you're going to watch some other teams. I think. Given what happened with Deshaun Watson in Houston, I think watching Eric Bieniemy and that offense uh, in Washington makes a ton of sense um, because uh, you know Deshaun Watson has been very publicly complimentary of Eric Bieniemy in the past, um, and then uh, the other one is Ben Johnson in Detroit, just because he is sort of the next hot offensive coordinator. And uh, you want to talk about a guy that has diversified their uh, entire offense, both run game and pass game. They kind of do it all. And um, that is a far cry from what we're talking about with the Browns right now. So those are kind of my two names, Jake. I don't know if you want to throw anybody else in the ring there. I have nobody else. We will, if we get to that point, I think you brought up two very logical connected dots there. If it ever gets to that point this year and we have laid out, I think at least a decent path to the point we will start getting there. Um, Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we will cover that pretty, pretty thoroughly at that point, but yeah, those are two good names to chew on. Look at look at guys connected to the Shanahan and McVeighs of the world, and you don't you know mm-hmm. look at what uh, what's his name's doing down there, Bobby Slowick, right down in yep, Houston. That's the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it's they're not hiring defensive names anymore. Yeah, could could we 
entertain a Schwartz and is a head coach and um, some other OC like a we've we've kind of covered that. I don't again. I, I, mm. I we're out in front of our skis here. It's a yeah, question exactly. that's fair because of yep. um you know the pat you can see a bunch of like laid out paths for where the season goes. But yeah, let's let's let that play out over time. Yeah, and I would just say there's also there's a great article. I think it's Connor Orr that writes this article. I think for Sports Illustrated Monday Morning Quarterback, one of those that uh, speaks specifically to like up and coming coaching candidates. So you can just kind of Google for that sort of stuff too. And there's like a there's a repository of that. So you're just you're kind of talking generally, right? At this point, mm-hmm. yeah, very much so. All right, last question. This will kind of wrap things up for us. Um, and this person is obviously a business person because they use the term KPIs, which uh, I will translate for those of you who maybe are. Uh, you know, it, like a bartender or, you know, somebody who is, uh, I don't know, what are the other jobs, Jake? Those are the only two I can think of, business person and bartender. I think you nailed it. Let's learn okay, cool. I, yeah, those yeah. are the main I, I mean, two professions I, for our, this our listeners. I had, to go into, I had to go look up what KPI meant. So anyway, that, that tells you. <laughs> so it's a, it's a key performance indicator, yep. uh, which is a business term basically for metric or statistic, those sorts of things. So what this question is getting at is what are the KPIs for a successful bi-week self-scout? And so, so Jake, the question is essentially, what do the Browns need to change? They've got all these dials in front of them for the offense, more running, you know, more shotgun, et cetera, et cetera. What do they need to do to make this offense tick a little bit more smoothly uh, going into week six? Well, I, I think when I see that, um, I'm, I'm looking more at what do I want to see to feel like it's evolving you know, what's the process, Andrew, right? I think that's what, that's what we want to know. The results can vary on some of these things, but what is the, what does the process look like to make it look like what you want it to be? Um, you know, key performance indicators for me is I would, I would like you to go watch the Texans game offense. And and I want some things to look like that, where you're, you're alleviating some stress on Watson with some of the RPO stuff that was so fun. I, I really do think that, that like what I'm paying attention to, I don't, it's not maybe business metric like, right. It's more, I'm just seeing it, but I I feel like, you know, if you want metrics like gun uptick and 11 uptick, continuing that trend, we just saw that's, that's a KPI, right? Like those things make sense to me. Um, RPO is a metric number. Could you hit seven, eight, nine, ten 10 RPOs a game? I would like to think you could, uh, could you hit inside zone roughly eight to 10 to 12 times a game? They've run 12 times of inside zone last or sorry, outside zone last week. Can you make inside zone more of your bread and butter? Right. Uh, those would be KPIs that I would like to see, but just from a process look like thing, I would like to, to make it feel like it did when they first brought Watson back. And that's the huge thing for me. Like if they're not trying to do that anymore, I'm almost giving up hope because I, I really, I really don't know how they can proceed forward with, with what they're doing and think that that is going to be the long-term answer to take them to a place they've never been, yeah. right? Take mm-hmm. them to a place they've never been because the, let's yep. just be, let's be upfront and honest. Kevin is not the on the fly and futuristic OC play caller type as the, as the Shanahan's and McVeigh's. He's not, I know I, I hate to break that to you, but he's proving out here that he is not at that level. So that doesn't mean that you can't win a championship with him, but is Kevin willing to come off the rigidity of what he believes, place the faith in people around him to give him insight and schemes and and things like that, that he can actually learn, adapt and apply. That's the question, Andrew. And I don't know that we have felt, and I think you and I have been on this from the jump about the people he's put around him, 
to expand the theory, the thought, the application, uh, which is the start of our concern in the off season. So, um, you know, again, you can, you can, you can do this, but it takes a lot of commitment to it. And I don't know that I've seen the commitment to it. And, um, yeah, let's just leave it at that, man. Let's leave it at that. But again, like they, they, they've shown that they could do it. The, the AVPs, uh, the guys he had around him last year, that week 12 game, I keep going back to it. They've shown that they could do it. They just don't want to do it. And that, that screams to me that they're unwilling to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah, I think the the key thing that you hit on there, Jake, and it's actually kind of a little bit of another business or analytics type uh, buzz phrase is uh, process over results. And so I, I just want to zoom out a little bit here with with this and and say like, you know, people are probably, I have seen people saying like, well, they're two and two, you know, how are you upset, right? And it's the process over results part, right? Because as as you said earlier, I think that we both agree that this team has enough talent and the defense is playing at a high enough level that even if the offense never fully clicks, they could still have a winning record, sneak into the playoffs, wild card, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But from a process standpoint, that that is probably their ceiling, right? I think their ceiling in that regard is 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 maybe they could eke out eleven wins from where they are right now. Um, if they make the changes that you're talking about, Jake, and they are successful, and and Watson gets back to his former self, which is why you make that trade, why you run through the ringer that they've put themselves and their fans through for the past eighteen months. Then the ceiling of a team with Watson back to a version of his former self and this defense is a Super Bowl. It's a trophy. So, so that's that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a process changing the way that they set up their offense, the way that they call plays, that allows them to have, you know, a more favorable outcome. And so, it's not to say that they can't have a good season by Brown standards, doing what they're doing. They can. They're two and two. They can. We've they showed in that Tennessee game. That's the script for them, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the same thing as being able to go toe to toe with what Miami's doing, with what Buffalo's doing, with what Kansas City's doing. Bingo. And, and 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 frankly, even I think you have to start to talk about the Ravens in that conversation because the the way that the, that's the I mean, you want to put some perspective into what we're talking about process change wise. That's why the Ravens fired Greg Roman and went to Todd Munkin. Jake and I have been at times skeptical about whether or not it would work and how it would work. But that's the bet that they've made is that they said, well, with Greg Roman, we're going to be in the contention for the division. We're going to make it to the wild card game. We'll maybe pull off an upset. We'll get to the divisional round. And then we're going to run into a buzzsaw. We're going to get smoked. And they said, well, if we bring in Todd Munkin and we let Lamar ascend to that next level, like what he did Sunday against the Browns, their ceiling completely changes. And that's what Mm -hmm. we want for Cleveland. So when we're having these conversations, this is not about wanting to be negative, wanting to tear down Kevin Stefanski, the Browns, Andrew Barry, Deshaun Watson, anybody. There's no vendetta. There's no personal animosity. This is just about wanting what other teams have in Cleveland. That is more than anything what drives me in these conversations, thinking about the team is when you put on Miami or you put on Buffalo, you say, man, why can't I watch that every weekend? And they have pieces that could make them like that. It's just that's a matter it. of applying it. And that's what bums me out is like the growing pain should have already happened, but I'm willing to eat a couple of weeks of growing pains to try to figure this thing out. But uh, yeah, I, I think we haven't even asked the question, which is like, how much confidence do you have that they'll fix it the rest of the way? We'll get to that later. Any more questions <laughs> on the way out the door? Uh, no, that does it for us. 
Okay, that's it for the mailbag. Midweek mailbag was packed with interest and, and yeah, comments and questions. It. You really did. We appreciate that uh, very, very much. So mm-hmm. thanks Thank to you, you guys for doing that. Um, we'll try to make that a part of your every Tuesday routine for your Wednesday podcast. I think it's a great platform for you guys to ask very well thought out questions, and we're off to a hot start. So from me, from Andrew, from those of us at the OBR, we thank you. Appreciate you guys um, uh, doing that, stopping by, listening to today's show. Take a dollar. Give us a, a dollar of your time uh, over at the OBR for the first month. See if we're worth your time. I think we are. I think you will like it. Enjoy the Browns community we have there. Um, so take advantage of that opportunity that's always out in front of you. And then um, rate and review the pod if you can. You guys continue to do that, and it helps. So thanks for doing that. Thanks for being here. And again, for myself and Andrew, we appreciate your time. And your listening attention, and, and really the the feedback and uh, you know community stuff that's that's forming here, it's really unique and really cool. So thanks for that, guys. Have a great Wednesday. Go Browns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.